The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. You found the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Here's the host, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast, where it's our goal to help create better and more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians. And this comes through helping the professions better understand each other with the ultimate goal of making customers happy in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. So this is another resonant topic, not resonant topic, resonant topic, although I am a resident. We'll be talking about the residents that my wife and I are building here in 2019. So today we're going to turn the tables and your host becomes the guest. So if you don't know, I've been talking about it a little bit here, kind of on the QT. Meryl and I are building a new high-performance home this year in 2019. And even though I've been involved in home performance for over 30 years, it was in the narrow field of test and measurement, not really in construction details and aspects. And although I've heard a lot of terminology, I really wouldn't say I'm anywhere near an expert or even just more than conversant. And because now it's our home and our money, everything is personal. And I have a real hunger for the details, as in case you haven't noticed up to now, which tends to complicate decisions, thinking mechanisms, and things like that. So it's a really interesting journey that I would like to record and capture. So I asked my really thoughtful pal, Nate Adams, to pitch me some questions and to get me to talk about this subject and share our journey up to this point. So I hope you enjoy the listen here as we talk about personalized home performance, part one. Good morning, good afternoon, Nate, whatever it is. <laughs> Hello, Bill. It's going to be kind of funny to turn the tables on you a little bit here. I hope I can be an okay interviewer. I have no idea. Never done it before. Uh, just pretend we're like we're having a conversation. I'll set the backdrop here. So it was about end of 2017. We had sort of made a plan about five years ago, my wife and I, to build the home of our dreams, sort of our final retirement home, although we're not ready to retire, but we're getting close to that phase, maybe 10 or 15 years. And first we had to pick a place and that sort of didn't get clarified in our minds until around November, 2017. And then we started looking around, we decided where it would be and that would be near Allegheny County, which is near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So we started looking around at land and different houses, what do we build new or whatever, but we really wanted to have something that was high performance. So we started looking for land, and we found that after a little bit, it was either going to be really far away or in need of demolition or both, or expensive. So we decided to go with kind of close to the hub of where our family lives and a little bit more expensive land, but it's a beautiful piece of property, a three-acre piece of land in Allegheny County, and it's called Indiana Township, and it's right near like a 600-acre county park called Hartwood Acres. So if you look that up on a map, you can kind of get an idea of what the terrain and surroundings look like. So after that, the concept of home performance, a uh, high-performance home, after being involved in this industry for so many years and having so many great contacts and people like Nate and so many others, Ted Kidd, and a lot of people to help shape my thinking, we started to go down the process of the path of designing this house. What would it look like? How big would it be? What would be the architectural details and things like that? So this is sort of really the coming out podcast for this project for me, which I'm going to be tracking more deliberately through the podcast in the future. We're into this process where we have a basic design and I wanted to have Nate interview me to sort of help me clarify or bring out sort of the details of where things are at. 
So I'll turn it over to Nate. So for starters, I should ask you, what does high performance mean to you? And then probably I should ask as a follow-up, what does it mean to your wife? Why don't I back up a little bit and Nate, you introduce who you are and why I think it's important that you ask me these questions. Oh, sure. Maybe you don't know that, but you know who you are, I hope, unless you have some kind of identity crisis. No idea. That's a constant crisis of personality. So my name is Nate Adams, the founder of Energy Smart Home Performance. We do high performance retrofits in the Cleveland, Ohio area. And I wrote the Home Comfort book. And Bill and I have known each other for a number of years and gotten much closer in about the last two years or thereabouts. He started asking me questions about what's high performance. Well, for starters, at the beginning, you came to me and you're like, so I don't know if I should buy existing and retrofit, which is what we're good at, or should we buy a piece of land and build? So that was where it really began. And then you were thinking about that. You went back and forth a little bit. And all of a sudden, you're like, well, we found a piece of land and we bought it. Like, okay, I guess we're going new build. (laughs) (laughs) And the bad part of new build is that is not the strong specialty of my partner and I. We work with a builder and you interviewed him, Ed Kiesel of EKA Build. But that is not our strongest suit. So it made it a little bit harder to advise at times. And I should also, I'm just going to do a little plug here for Ed. I'm going this afternoon to go do the test out for one of his projects. In fact, it's the first electrified new home that we've done with him. And I'm really curious to hear what the client's experience is because they've been in the house now for a couple of months and also do the final performance testing because this one, he got crazy tight. It's, he was down to about a 500 CFM 50 blower door or it was like a 0.7.8 ACH 50. So I'm curious if he got any better since I tested it last. And I just had a conversation with Ted this morning and it's too bad that Ed doesn't build in my area. He's close, but he's not close enough to be my builder. Okay, so you've introduced yourself. I've introduced the concept, the topic. Go ahead, hammer me with questions. (laughs) So do you have a very high wattage bulb that you can put on yourself so that I make you sweat? (laughs) It's LED. It doesn't make me sweat. (laughs) Dang it. We're going to have to fix that. I think I have a hundred water kicking around somewhere. Anyway, what does high performance mean to you? And then also, what does it mean to your wife? What conflicts has that created? I think high performance, what it means to me is comfort, room to room comfort. I learned a lot from uh, about mean radiant temperatures or had that concept clarified and actually through this podcast and interviewing Robert Bean and it was a suggestion of yours. And the fact that there actually is an ASHRAE 55, I believe, standard that talks about human comfort. So I studied up about that and figured out how that could be possible. And also very good air quality. The house we live in now is around six or so air changes per hour at 50 pascals. So it's really not great. It's kind of drafty. I'm sitting in a basement room right now and my feet are cold. The walls around me are cold. I feel the heat being sucked off my body. I don't want that anymore. I want the comfort to be almost non-detectable. It's like, it isn't an issue, good or bad. It just feels okay. That's what I want for high performance. And what does it mean to Marilyn? For her, it means comfort also. But I think there's a little difference, and that's why uh, I've talked a lot about humidity control, because it just, I think, is typical with the sexes. Actually, you talked about this on an NPR interview that I heard you on once, how men and women feel different. And with men, it seems to be more about humidity and women more about air temperature. So when the humidity gets to a good place for me, the air temperature is a little bit too cold for Maryland because we're trying to make an air conditioning system be a dehumidifier also. So I think the concept of having really 
strict control over the air parameters of both temperature and humidity, and then also the factors of air quality, since in order to get these really uniform temperatures and low air changes, we have to bring in outdoor air, and so it has to be tempered with an ERV. Excellent. So what conflict has that caused? I think most of it's been in trying to understand what the equipment will do and me trying to explain to understand first and then dialogue with Marilyn about how it's not this or that necessarily. It's what are we trying to achieve with it and making sure that we're in terms of the equipment performance and the cost to install the equipment and also the structural details of the house and the cost to put them in place, that we're happy. We reach a point where it's the right investment for us because it will be an investment, of course. Oh, of course. Well, it's, uh, building a new home, particularly a high-performance one, is typically not inexpensive. So can I challenge you on something? Sure. Does it need to be an ERV for bringing in outdoor air? I don't know. I think we would have to, like, I think all good things, like we need to model it. That would be a good choice. I don't know. It could be conditioned. I know we will need fresh air. I can almost guarantee that because of our targets for tightness. And I just, I guess I assumed an ERV. Maybe we could dialogue about why you think that might. Well, so I'll just leave something here because I don't want to derail the subject here. But if you look at the website for aircycler.com, they build like a bunch of fancy switches. Like the one that I've used is for bath bands which will allow you to meet ASHRAE 62.2, although I really don't like doing that with depressurization, negative, like pulling air out of the house and not giving it a path to come in. Exhaust only, yeah. Exhaust only, thank you. But they have a calculator for it, and it's something that I'd recommend everyone at least give a shot to, because in our experience, we don't add a huge amount of fresh air to our client homes in general. We're usually just doing, we call it a scuttle, but it's a duct that goes from the return side of a forced air system to the outdoors. And they usually don't pull a ton of air. They're between 10 and 30 CFM. And because we put FUBOTs in these houses, so far, it looks like we're getting away with it, but it's going to depend. So it's way under 62.2 and there's other ways to get there. But from an energy perspective, I don't think I can see it. And one thing to consider there, was it John Lapoter down in Florida? He did a little study on HRVs and ERVs. And it was 21 homes, if memory serves, and they were like five to 10 years old. And he found that 19 out of 21 were inoperable. They weren't running oh, yeah, because they hadn't had their filters changed. So one thing we've found, and again, this is just my particular opinion, so everyone do the math and think it through, but we really like doing it with the air handler, doing it meaning bringing in fresh air. Because if your fresh air breaks, you know it because you don't have heating and cooling. So just that, again, I'm derailing a little bit, but food for thought. So I question everything. You know, Ted and I, nothing is left on the table unquestioned. So moving on, originally you were planning to build Passive House. So tell me about how that went, how you led to Passive House, and then how you ended up finding yourself going away from it. Passive House seemed to make a lot of sense because it provided that really airtight, well-insulated structure to achieve the comfort. Did some initial reading, studying on it, and actually started asking questions around and found a local architect who had recently retired from an insulation manufacturer. He was their chief architect, and he had just finished last January, but I guess it was the October before, October 17th. 
building his own passive house. And we went out there in a very cold day in January to take a visit. He was recommended by a local architectural research firm, Abacus in Pittsburgh. They recommended we take a walk through his house and get an idea. And he very graciously and his wife let us in and walked around and showed us various things about how the house functioned. And he went, actually, has, his house has been passive certified. So he's got a number on it and all the testing was done and the paperwork was submitted and all. And it seemed to make sense. And then we started to look at some of the details and questioning it. And I think it was about, we involved a construction consultant, a good friend of mine for the last 30 years, who's done passive house training, passive house tradesman training, went to the Passive House Institute in Austria, and, but done weatherization and kitchen remodeling and all kinds of things over the last 30 years. He sat down with us last April. We went through the Passive House concept and he pointed out some studies that had been done by the DOE, which showed sort of the incremental gains from the incremental expense. And beyond a certain point, the expenses went way up and the gains were getting smaller and smaller, diminishing returns. So he took a step back from that and said, well, does it really need to be a passive house? So that was sort of the turning point. I want to say it was around the end of April of 2018. So I went from January being very interested in it on actually contracting with this architect to do the design to April really started to question our decision there. So what was the next step? Like what happens once you discovered that wasn't the way that you wanted to do it? Yeah. So we also had looked just for people that were passive house certified in the area to say, well, who could be a possible builder? And four builders came up that presented themselves that way locally. Two of them do only commercial construction. One of them, all I could find from his website is that he was trained, but he did roofing, only roofing. So I'm not sure it was, there wasn't like full construction presented. The other one was a modular builder. Someone had brought up the concept of using a modular builder back in these initial phases in the kind of the fall of 17. So we started talking in January with the modular builder. I'll use their name because we've sort of locked into them. It's EcoCraft Homes. They work with a factory in Northwestern Pennsylvania called Structural Modular Incorporated, SMI. And SMI has been building modular homes for 30 years. And I believe EcoCraft's been working with them for the last 15 years on higher performance homes, not always passive. So we decided that sort of that mix of them doing it, being flexible about the design, anywhere from standard performance to high performance to passive house. So we went to a seminar they had up at their factory. It really, it was just a little presentation. And then we walked through the factory and watched how everything was built and really fell in love with the concept of modular construction because of the opportunity for quality control and the fact is that we walked through the factory, all the material was under roof from the time it was delivered. And then when they're building the modules, they move them out to the parking lot and wrap them in Tyvek. So everything stays protected away from the weather. And as I drive by various places, like I was at the AHR Expo last week, and our construction consultant came with us and he said, hey, pull a car over here. We were driving somewhere. Pull a car over here. It's like, what's going on? He said, I want to take a picture of that building. Why? Well, it's under construction and they have OSB and it's raining like cats and dogs. He said, that's going to be oriented sponge board that you will never be able to dry out. <laughs> so he was taking a picture for his class at that point. We see it all around now, uh, just like we see stick build homes going up and going, you really got to worry about moisture control. So we felt that that's a huge attribute that we have. And then just sort of a factory fixtures, people doing the same thing, probably a little bit more stability with labor. I'm implying a bunch of things here, but I think it's a good idea to use modular. So the modular builder was very accepting 
of the passive house architect's designs, his initial sketches. But then when we started to meet with them, we started to pull back away from passive and our architect was pulling us in the other direction. It might've taken us through to about August where we decided August of 18, that we were going to disengage with the passive house architect and use the architectural services of the builder. And they've done a fine job from there in presenting us with concepts and working with us in iterations to come up with the space layout that we like. What were you looking for? So we'll just touch on layouts. What were your goals for the layout of this house? We wanted to have the master bedroom on the first floor. We wanted to have a great room with a two-story ceiling space. And one big thing, which the builder actually loved the phrase that I used was, I want the design to flatter the view from the inside. In other words, I want to be able to stand at various parts inside the house and go like, wow, I'm so glad we live here. I, I wanted that kind of vibe. And then I also wanted the feeling that I'm so comfortable standing here going, wow, I'm so glad we live here. <laughs> and it is a pretty site that we have chosen. So we want to make sure that's all sort of in harmony. And aside from that, we wanted some space for our older kids to come visit and grandkids to come. And so we have a couple of bedrooms upstairs and what we call a lounge area, which overlooks the two-story space, which could have like a pull-out bed in it, that kind of thing. And then a full basement, because that's actually the builder either builds on uh, very low crawls, doesn't build on slab, or builds with a basement. And the incremental cost to put a basement in wasn't that much. So we decided that would be our sort of our storage space. It would be a full basement under the whole first floor. I totally agree with that. One project we did, a deep energy retrofit, we actually lifted the house and replaced the foundation and dug it down so that they would have a second classroom. So that's the environmental studies department at Hiram College now. If you're going to do a crawl space, I don't know why you wouldn't do a basement in our climate, particularly because the site is quite sloped. Mm -hmm. So yeah, switching gears again, you and I obviously have had a lot of discussions about electrify everything. So you want to talk about what that is and then how that applies to this project? It's kind of even grown further. I just feel like a lot of my career is built on combustion <laughs> and carbon monoxide, but also I've actually done expert witness work on carbon monoxide poisoning. And then you read on different studies about the use of fossil fuels and the ability now, which so much progress in terms of uh, solar to generate your own power. So we set a goal to put solar on the site and to not tie into the gas line, even though there's a gas line at the road. We will tie into the electric, but not the gas. I think our builder has a sort of a standard design where they use a very high efficiency modulating gas furnace, but we're actually in the process now of sort of, of challenging that and trying to work with a air source heat pump basically a ducted mini split to condition the space to do the air heating and air cooling and some dehumidification. So pushback, I think it's getting a lot of strong advice from people saying gas is so cheap and gas is so comfortable and the air comes out so warm and just all these so, so, so's. And it's like, it's not so much about the expense, but it's sort of I'd say one of the altruistic points that I'm trying to maintain because I really think the future will be largely electric. And I want to see if I can set the course for the future now versus having to change over later and perhaps go through some challenges, some discussions, some deliberations, and even some minor arguments about it. Yeah, it can certainly bring out some interesting discussion. That's a Neil Comparetto nicknamed me Mr. Heat Pump because of my position there. And I've definitely had a few battles on HVAC school. 
it keeps life interesting, but I'm excited to hear what all that's going on. So why don't we talk about the HVAC of the house, considering that our audience here is largely HVAC contractors. What are you planning to do currently and how has that changed from where you began? I want to stick with as much as the builder is familiar with doing, again, to benefit from the fact that they have this repetitive process. We're actually, we're still, we have the basic wall construction details down. The roof cross-section is not defined yet, so we can't even do an energy model. So with the HVAC, we haven't been able to pick the system, but we would like to use the insulated duct work that they're using. So sort of like a medium velocity duct work because of the lower airflows, because of the predicted lower demand for heating and cooling. So we're looking at probably from two and a half inch to four inch diameter insulated flex duct that has sealed transitions and terminations on it so that it can be connected with the manufacturer saying less than 5% duct leakage. So the factory is used to installing that. We want to have them go ahead and install that to our plan, but not kind of like take them out of their comfort zone and have them do anything different than what they're used to doing. And it sort of fits in with the way they design homes, the way this builder designed homes. Got it. So how does that work static pressure wise? Because that's been a question in my mind, obviously. Yeah. Part of the last week's trip to the AHR Expo, the ASHRAE show used to be called the 2019 in January here, was to do some research on the types of equipment. And we'd like to use something like a ducted mini split or perhaps a, I'm not sure what they call it, but it's basically a Mitsubishi has an air handler that runs up to about 0.8 inches of water column static. So that's fairly high over ducted mini splits, I believe. And to be able to use that to be the heating and the cooling, which is not part of the portfolio for our builder, but we could do a, a delete for them and then bring in a contractor to do the Mitsubishi system. That's the way we're leaning right now. Although I, John Semelhack and Neil Comparetto are buzzing in my ear about Fujitsu. So I think there's probably some more discussions that we need to have. Well, at least there are options now. Because a few years ago when I was working on a Habitat for Humanity project, we had to add a duct system. And I was hoping to do a ducted mini split because the load was low enough. But at that point, you couldn't buy a ducted mini split that would do more than a tenth of an inch of water column. And that wasn't adequate for the size of the house. Like there wasn't a good way to make it work. So we ended up doing a standard ducted system. It was a heat pump, but it was just a two-stage heat pump. The only one that we've done. And since then, I know they've got ducted splits that go to 0.3, which is adequate because oftentimes the systems that we're doing get down to that range. But to hear that 0.8 is there, that's good. And that also is high enough. And if you're looking at Mitsubishi air handlers, you may be able to look at some other manufacturers as well. My particular favorite's a carrier green speed. But it's good to hear that that's possible with medium velocity ducts, very small ductwork. I just have no idea if the airflow is there. And if anybody can help you with that, that would probably be John Semelhack. Yeah, so that was a big revelation as we found that this insulated duct manufacturer, which our factory is familiar with using, but they only use one size. But we did find they have other sizes. So that's the kind of thing which sort of opened up the book on what that design could be. So where are the ducts going in the house and where is the air handler going? Air handler will be in the basement. It'll be a full height, large basement. So we're not going to crimp or crunch in the HVAC into a closet, which is done in some of the designs for this modular builder. So we're just going to want them to run it down and then probably put a trunk line into the basement for the supply and the return, which still isn't designed yet. So we need to go through some more steps. We need to have the roof cross-section 
and then the roof cross section. And then we're actually going to do a passive house planning package, PHPP model. Oh, wonderful. We feel that's worthwhile to be able to do construction detail trade-offs and see how far we have to go to get to our desired point for us. It's, I think, more than a high performance. I'm going to say this is personal performance home, which is just a different way of defining that just popped into my head. It's more personal than anything. We'll be able to get the passive house planning package, be able to iterate the details, and then from there move to a, a manual J to do a load calculation. And then we can start the equipment selection process and then look at duct runs, equipment, et cetera. Yep. What was it? J, S, and D, and then T? Are you going to do T as well? For a termination, yeah. But I think I got to look at the catalog for the duct manufacturer. I think they're more sort of like nozzle vents with the little end caps on them so you can adjust flow. Oh, okay. Got it. So is it kind of similar to a Unico system then? Yeah, similar to that. And then just to back up, like, okay, well, why aren't you just using mini splits with multi-zone cassettes and different heads? And it's because I don't want cassettes in the room. I want the HVAC, again, that feeling of invisibility is also visual. So that that's a desire of mine is to use ducting because I want them, the HVAC to be invisible. That's a really good goal. And I should ask about air quality then too, because there's multiple air quality things that you want to have capability of doing, namely bringing fresh air in to every room. Yes. Good filtration, which is very difficult with mini splits, with ductless mini splits more correctly. And then humidification and dehumidification can also be somewhat challenging. Right. That's the kind of thing which is, I want to almost take a wait and see attitude. Leave, since we do have the room for the equipment, to leave room for dehumidification or humidification equipment to be added on after a season of operation. And that's probably not a bad idea. Although that's one of the reasons we like the equipment that we like because it has uh, reheat dehumidification built in. So you don't need a separate piece of equipment. It's a software thing. And actually, for any manufacturers listening to this, will somebody please add to their software reheat dehumidification, being able to turn it on so I'm not stuck with one manufacturer? <laughs> with our work doing older homes, oftentimes there's no vapor barrier underneath the floors in the basement. So there's a lot of moisture load that you have to deal with in these older homes. So you need really killer dehumidification capability. But that's specific to my little niche. But yes, please, any manufacturers do that. Mitsubishi, please do that. Okay. If you hadn't gone with modular, do you think you would have found a local builder to do a high-performance home? I don't know. There are some local builders that actually there was the North American Passive House Network had their annual conference in Pittsburgh last year. So I set up a booth there with True Tech and Marilyn, my wife, came with me to spend some time at the show and also see what the exhibitors had to show. And you'd think if there was anybody there who was operating high performance, they would be there or be wandering around. And we did find one builder, but he's like, I really don't do residential. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. Like I hear from other people, like Pittsburgh's the hotbed of passive house, one of the hotbeds of passive house, but I can't seem to find anybody. And I don't know if I'm just looking in the wrong places. They're not popping up for me. I think I would have had trouble and I would have had to probably get really involved in the process, but also get a lot more highly educated in the process because I'm not claiming I know even one-tenth of what I need to know. I don't know one-fifth of what you know. A lot of it comes from hands-on. So I'm, I'm really happy that we found the builder that we did and how accommodating they've been of our direction or 
inquisitiveness. They really seem like they want to be partners and they want to learn from the experience, which is going to be a little bit different than anything they've done before. I'm really happy, actually, that you found the modular builder. I'm a big fan of modular myself, which you won't hear super often because we don't do much new build work. But boy, is it nice that you build things under the same factory conditions every day, like you said. So your third episode, the one that you had me on, was about indoor air quality and humidity. And to your point earlier about the OSB, what did he call it? Oriented? I call it oriented sponge board. Yeah, there you go. So I gave a presentation at the Healthy Building Summit that was called The Coming Mold Explosion. And like that sounds like hyperbole, but it's not. And one of the things that we're finding, we're getting more and more calls from moisture damaged homes that are causing health issues in the owners. And the curse of a moisture damaged home, which by the way, over half of US homes are moisture damaged. The curse of them is once they're moisture damaged, you have to treat them basically like a cancer patient for the rest of their lives. You have to keep them dry or all kinds of bad things can happen. So when I hear of rain beating the tar out of some OSB while a house is being built, I just think, man, that house is already a sick patient and it hasn't even been moved into yet. That's one reason that I like modular because you can actually control all of that. So setting aside the builder, if you say you could find a builder that was game for building a high performance house, what about the contractors? So the two main ones would obviously be, well, I guess three, you'd need a good carpenter, you would need a good insulation contractor, and you would need a good HVAC contractor. What are the odds of finding contractors that are game for doing a high performance building? I've had some experience with some retrofit work with a great insulation contractor, so I think I could check that box. I feel DHVAC, I could probably vet it or pull in my good friend Jim Bergman, who's a national expert, to do some third-party quality control and advising on that. But the building, the actual construction, I'm not sure locally who I would have gone to. Actually, the architect who had built his passive house went through two builders. One he found he was enthralled with, but they ended up sending sort of like work study crew to the site. The crew arrived early before the contractor did. And he said like, where are your tools? And they're like, oh, we're waiting for him to bring them. Don't you have tools of your own? No, we just started last week. Oh man. So he went through that experience and then he did find like a high-end custom home builder who was willing to be guided through the process and follow the details. And I think it came out okay for him. So I think it probably would have been a high-end home builder where I feel like the modular builders, although they build really nice homes, I wouldn't consider them like high-end construction, like the vibe. That's not all they go after. They build a variety of levels. Got it. Taking a step back, because obviously you have some chops that your typical consumer is not going to. So say you were Joe Schmo and you wanted to build a high-performance home. What do you think that looks like? Is it easy? Is it hard? What are your thoughts? I think first to even ask for it, you have to have some kind of knowledge base. I don't know if anybody is out there building houses asking for high performance now. They are probably asking for, I don't want to sound demeaning, but decorative features versus performance features. I'm not even sure they would talk about energy usage. And I think comfort is sort of a secondary factor. So just another little side story. My wife's best friend has just decided they're going to move into a different house and they've been there at their existing house for 30 years and the new house they moved into, they took possession and started to move things in and redo it a little bit. And they found this little room off the attic that was making the bedroom really cold. 
And it just so happened to be exactly the same thing as the episode in Corbett Lunsford and Corbett and Grace's TV show. Which episode? Just episode one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. The little Newall attic off the right. Those are a classic problem. But she's like, this doesn't seem right, but it didn't have words to express it. So I sent her a link to the video and then a link to the insulation contractor I use, and he's going to come out and get it fixed up. But it was sort of like the vocabulary is missing from a lot of uh, consumers. And I think it's there's a lot of things that I want that I can express that other people want and perhaps have a harder time expressing. So they end up being like a two-year-old telling them to use their yeah. words. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> use your words. So I agree that is a major problem. Obviously, I wrote a book about home comfort trying to do that sort of thing, to educate consumers enough. So if this process has been that difficult for you, what are the odds that a typical home being built in the US right now comes anywhere close to the standards that you're aiming for? I think in certain areas of the country, there are builders who are embracing this and they're big enough and they're presenting it to their customer base and they're getting people to sign on and build this way. I think there's no uniformity to it. I really think it, to me, it seems to be the ownership or the management of these larger builders who are looking to differentiate themselves. Sort of like HVAC contractors who want to do a more thorough and complete job or do more diagnostic and not just slap in a replacement box at the cheapest rate. I think there is a movement. I don't know if it's all firing on the same cylinders, but I think there are, are different engines out there that are running in this direction. And unfortunately, I didn't really come across any in my area except for this one modular builder. Nobody's really presenting themselves that way. So just another quick little anecdote. I think it was in February of last year, we went to the home show in Pittsburgh at the convention center. Maybe it's the remodeling expo or whatever. And we sat through a presentation by a design build architect and thought, well, that would be really cool. We could use someone like this. So we sat through the presentation. They went through how they do all their things, their whole process. And I said, I really like this. It's process oriented. And the founder of the company was ex-military. And I'm like, oh, these are all good things. You like discipline, process, all that kind of stuff. Went over to their booth, to the founder of the company, and I believe his daughter who had taken over and said, so we're interested in building a passive house. They're like, what is that? And it's like, ooh, you presented yourself so well but you're not aware of this trend even to be conversant at all. So we left our name, phone number, and said, if you want to talk about it, give us a call. Never heard back from it. So that was sort of the oh, feeling that I had at that point. I'll start with a story and then ask you a question. So Sean Jessup is a high-performance builder that I know down in North Carolina. We follow each other on Twitter and comment back and forth. He has a tremendous amount of difficulty finding someone to install the HVAC systems that are designed and specified for his homes. And to me, it's, well, it's surprising and it's not surprising, but it's amazing how much difficulty he has with it. Like I would say 70% of Twitter conversations seem to involve, gosh darn it, I can't get the HVAC guy to show up. I could only get one bid because nobody else would even bid on the project. And that's high performance. So putting that together with your experience, what do you think it might look like to help change this landscape so that more comfortable, healthier homes with better HVAC systems become the norm from both the consumer demands and a contractor supply side? I think some of it, it depends upon, I want to say example and communication. I'll tell another little story. The woman we bought the land from 
we got to talking with her and said what our plans were for building on it and what our business was about and what we did. And she's like, well, that's really interesting. She said, I've always, she had solar installed on the, her horse barn to feed most of her electric needs. And she said, that's really interesting because some of us neighbors around here really feel like we really need to be using energy more responsibly. Now, I'll take a, another step back and throw another story in on top of this. The land that we purchase is in the direct path of a 140 kilovolt power tower, power line. One of the paths, put it that way. And this woman we bought the land from has been very responsibly trying to get them to redirect it through community involvement, community activism, if you will, because it does go over farmland. I'm not going to go into the whole discussion there, but I think it was just very admirable work. And there are other paths for them to take. And we bought the land with this risk in mind that this year they could put a power tower on the property and really just screw the view up. So she was connected with this and we started talking back in the summertime and she said, well, you know, why don't we have like a community meeting about the responsible use of energy in our township? So I helped four of us neighbors got together and I helped coordinate this little event. And we talked about solar, electric cars, geothermal, heat pumps in general, indoor air quality. And Nate, I stole a lot of your illustrations. And actually, I think I actually gave you one in return, the one in the heat pump. <laughs> That's fine. I love it when people use the stuff that we've developed. I think it was that kind of thing. And about 20 people showed up. And I think some minds were changed, some opinions and thoughts were embedded. And I'd like to do it again as we make more progress. So I think it's a grassroots thing. It's going to change and also support the people that are doing things different. And I include you and Ted in that group with Home Performance 2.0, with the book you've written, with the work you do with contractors. And I include Corbett and Grace Lunsford in that same group with their PBS TV show, homediagnosis.tv. I got stumped on the name before there, but that's playing now on PBS. So that's supporting those efforts and then doing this podcast. I wanted people to think differently. Not everyone's going to think the same way, but I want people to think differently, be aware of alternatives and opportunities. And I think it's really, it's about comfort, enjoyment, health, all good things. And that's what you can get and durability. You can get out of a high performance or even a personal performance home. What does durability mean in your mind? I would say it's not having moisture penetration issues, ice damming, pests coming in, and I would say even to some degree, like isolation from noise and pollen and other things coming in, that's more on a sort of like durability of your body structure. But And I think an appropriate lifetime before the house needs to be renewed or refit, which again fits in the personal performance, like are we going to go with hardy plank siding at an elevated cost or perhaps just a high quality vinyl that's installed really well because of the personal performance needs that we have. One size does not fit all. Absolutely not. That's You know, in our work, the three things we're always trying to match up are the client goals, the needs of their house, or in this case, the future house, and then the budget that they have. Those three have to play together somehow. I got to say that it's very fortunate that you finished your book when you did, because <laughs> I, I needed it. And it's your thinking continues to shape my thinking. And I really appreciate that. Well, you're welcome for whatever small thing that it helps. So, Shifting gears from where the project is now, what do you think the project's going to look like from now until you and Marilyn move in? We've actually, the builders, thrown out a date for the date they're going to start building the modules, and that's around March 11th. And then they have a tentative date to set the boxes or the modules on May 6th. And then 
a lot of finishing work will go on. It's really hard to predict, but they're given themselves about four and a half months of finishing. Okay. Before then, you obviously have to finalize the design. Yeah. Right now, we're actually, we're going to have a meeting three days from now to talk about an initial price with the design attributes that they have, and then start to look at those trade-offs. What have you enjoyed most about this process? I think being able to work with this builder who actually, it's a father and son co-owners. The son is has put in two modules built in his factory that he designed on a city lot in Pittsburgh that is perhaps 21 or 22 feet wide. And he's put on two pretty much mirror image structures that are four stories up. And we've been able to go over there on the day that they were setting the modules to see how that would happen, to take the factory tour. And then we've been back over there two separate times to look at details of construction so that our construction consultant can point things out and help us understand what we're getting and also query the builder. Why are you doing it this way? Why aren't you doing it that way? And I think we've actually, in a couple of small ways, helped them think about things differently. And I'd like to continue to do that. So I think it's this relationship with the builder, which has gone swimmingly really great. Relationships are critical when you're talking a long iterative process, I think. So let's flip that question. What are the least favorite parts of this process? I think it was breaking up with the passive house architect. Really nice guy, really wanted us to see it his way, but we just weren't seeing it his way. And I just sort of had a hard time saying, no, we have to go a different direction and sort of a feeling of disappointment that we let it go maybe a little bit too long. It wasn't even the expense so much. I mean, we did pay him for all the services he rendered, but it was just, I think it threw a a hitch in our giddy up for the schedule. But I think you've certainly gotten beyond that at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Feel much more confident, continue to build the confidence and asking better questions as I learn more details. I can be kind of bad at asking questions, which is funny because you asked me to interview you. (laughs) But the other thing that we have found consistently is the answer is almost always more questions. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of details. And especially the way we're, the end goal that we're approaching is really, I don't know if it's been done before, what we're trying to do. I'm not doing that just to be different, but I'm doing it again to personalize the performance. In my mind, this should be done more frequently because with Ed Kiesel, this is the sort of thing that he does. So he offers our services as a comfort package. So he'll do a standard HVAC system and then standard shell package. And actually, I just tested one of his houses the other day where the owners chose not to do the comfort package. And he was beating himself up for what turned out to be like a two ACH 50 house. He had a 1700 CFM. 50 blower door on a 3,600 square foot house. And this house was really complicated. The first house that we did together, I looked at it, I'm like, Ed, if you're trying to make it difficult to air seal a house, you have succeeded with this design. (laughs) He had to use a lot of spray foam on that first house to make it tight. But it amazes me how tight he's gotten it with this recent one. But more importantly, what he does is just offer options to his clients. So if they want to do a standard insulation package, we'll just build you code house. Not a problem. But we do like that he at least offers his clients the choice of better comfort, which is done through better HVAC and better air sealing and insulation. We like that he offers that. And then if his clients decline it and there are issues in the future, he can point back to that. So offer and decline is very, very powerful because you're not selling. 
And you're also getting yourself off the hook for future responsibility for things you can't control. Actually, I was talking with Ted about that today. I'd like you to rephrase that shared responsibility. Yes, shared responsibility. That's precisely it. In our projects, I don't want to own anything 100% because it tends to disengage people. And also it's fairly likely to lead to conflict where if you're pulling the wagon together, it's typically a much more pleasant experience. Well, Bill, any other things you wanted to talk about? No, I think I'll have more as things progress. I'd like to invite you back to be my interviewer and we'll be talking with you in the meantime. But yeah, a few weeks from now, see where things lie, maybe in towards the late spring, maybe after the house bent up and things like that. So be taking some pictures and sharing that too. I thinking about doing a separate blog or where to put this information. So I'll put it out there for anyone who's interested too. I think that'd be wonderful. And frankly, I think you could put a lot of this just right on the Facebook page for the podcast. Yeah, that's true. I think that's a, a perfect venue for that. Maybe not totally ideal, but pretty close. Well, great. Well, thanks for having me on today. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Nate Adams of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. <laughs> you are now, at least. <laughs> <laughs> for the day, guest hosts. Cool. So. All right. Bill, this was a pleasure. Thanks for uh, asking me to do it. And thank you for doing it, Nate. We welcome other people to throw topics or questions at us at Building HVAC Science. And we'll have a little bit of a couple notes at the end on the show notes on how to contact Nate and how to contact me. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Building HVAC Science podcast. We're part of a network. We're part of a group called the Blue Collar Roots Network. And you can find more shows and episodes at bluecollarroots.com and find all the great podcasts that are part of that network. So sort of in wrap up here, you might have picked up that we're calling this not so much a high performance house, but a personalized performance house. It's what we want our home really to be. So this is a different kind of aspect. It was originally, you, could, you heard in the episode, it was a passive house and it was high performance. Now I'm calling it personalized performance. I don't know, maybe the labels aren't important, but again, I want to share the journey with you. So I'd like to close here with a closing thought, and it's a quote by Walt Disney. We keep moving forward, opening new doors and doing new things because we're curious and curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. So someday I hope to invite you to come to the path to my new house and get a tour of the personalized performance house that we will have built, hopefully by the end of 2019. Take care, everyone. Please subscribe or follow us on Facebook on Building HVAC Science. Good day. Mm -hmm.